Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's pretty cool. That's a good podcast get. That's a good guess. Oh, and it's a hell of an achievement for London Fletcher, of course, the analyst for the Commanders Radio Network as well. Fletch, congratulations and welcome back to the pod. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me on. You know, definitely a, a um, you, know, you know, when you think about being a, a semifinalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you know, something that you... When you start out playing the game, it's like, man, you you don't you dream of those types of things, but for it to um, you know take place is still uh, very humbling. That's so, uh, that's pretty cool, though, man. Like, yeah, like so I was gonna ask you, do you know like all the other guys on the list? Like, have you met them at some point in your career, or is it kind of like, um, you know, how do you feel about being on a list with all those guys? And then if you have a personal relationship with them, how is that also? I know. You know, just offhand, I I think I pretty much know all the guys. If I maybe maybe there's a, a one or two guys I may not know, but uh, played against a lot of those guys. Um, you know, know Henry Ellert well. He used to um, coach in, in St. Louis. I know uh, Henry Ellert. Um, so yes, you know, played against Zach and played against No Patrick Willis um, very well. So you know, to to compete against some of those guys, know some of those guys. It's a uh, Definitely a great list of uh, players on, on the semifinalist list. So we know that like, there's all these famous video clips of David Baker, uh, the president of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, big six foot nine, 400 pound David Baker, <laughs> knocking on guys' doors saying, congratulations, welcome to the hall if, if they make it. How do you find out that you made the semifinal list? I'm guessing it's not a personal visit from David Baker. No, it's not. It's, I found out <laughs> the way everybody else found out. Um, actually... I was taking my son to a, to a workout, and I was in a car, I guess, when the list initially came out, and somebody um, texted me and told me I made it. I didn't, so I didn't find out right away. Um, you know, people, it had already been released. I think uh, it was like 1 o'clock they, they let, they released the list, and I found out maybe about, I want to say about 108, 110, something like that. So I found out after uh, everybody else, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> And what's it? What's it mean to you to to get this far in the process? Obviously, you've you've been in the, in this for a while, um, and and I, everyone on this podcast for sure, and I think everyone in this area feels like you belong in the Hall of Fame. So uh, while while there's still uh, and it's not work to do, the work was done. Your your resume is set. There are still steps to be taken to get where you belong. What's it feel like to get this far? It feels great. You know, this is my I believe my fourth year on the ballot. The uh, the three 
prior years as um you know I was uh, eligible to be being a pro football hall of fame I didn't advance past the uh the initial hundred and some odd players that they um initially put out and I was I was extremely perplexed when I didn't you know I was pissed off perplexed uh like man when I when you look at the um the numbers that I did and, and the career that I had and I wasn't you know, saying I should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I definitely should have damn been a first ballot semifinalist. So, <laughs> you know, when when uh that didn't happen first time, then you know a couple more times, and I'm just like, man, what, you know, what's really going on here? And then for for me to advance to this this next stage, it's um, you know, very appreciative of it. I I know it's a, you know, another step in another part of the process. Now they'll they'll go from here. There's 28 guys on this list, and they'll trim that down to 15 guys and for the finals and then eventually get it down to five. So I'm um, not, not home yet, but definitely feels good to advance to this stage, um, you know, of the process. And obviously statistically, you're one of the most productive linebackers in NFL history. Is there a reason you think that, you know, <clears throat> that it took this long to get there? Is it, you know, cause the market you played in or is it because, you know, like, do you have any thoughts on that? You know, it's, it's probably a combination of things with the the middle linebacker position. I don't know how many current middle linebackers are in the the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but you know, it's uh, you know the, when you think about the positions, you're gonna quarterbacks gonna have a high priority, um, wide receivers, running backs, d- defensive linemen that sack the quarterback, you know, a cornerback because they intercept the ball. So those positions are gonna get I guess hold a higher regard in in, in some voters' minds, even though you know, when you look at the middle linebacker position, all the things and the responsibilities that we are we have to do, I don't think that anybody has to do more on the on the defensive side of the ball than the middle linebacker. So, you know, that's part of it. The the market playing in playing in St. Louis, I played great football, but it was all you know, all the conversation was about the offense. Greatest show on turf. You go to I go to Buffalo, spent five years there. And you don't get we don't get a lot of recognition playing in Buffalo. And then once I got to the bigger market in in, in uh, Washington and you're playing on a lot of national television games, um, you know, it's the NFC East. That's when I was finally able to break through for the Pro Bowl. It's not like I came to DC and started playing better football. Hell, I was I was a great football player in St. Louis, great football player in Buffalo. And uh, didn't make a Pro Bowl there, but you know, market definitely makes a difference. And, and sorry, yeah. And so I think that's the other thing that I'm a little confused on is who votes? Is this just media members that are voting, or is there like former coaches or like? Because you know, I always find it interesting, like how there's like a national narrative around a player, and then you go watch film of that play, and you're like, oh wow, like this player is better or worse than the national media kind of thinks. Is that like who's voting on this and and? If it's just media members, I think that's a mistake. There are 50 Pro Football Hall of Fame voters. Mm -hmm. There is one voter, I know at least one voter for each NFL team. Okay. And then there's some at-large voters. I don't know if uh, there's some at-large voters uh, that cover, you know, cover the NFL nationally. There are some former, a couple former players on the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I know James Lawson is one. And um, I don't know if it's Dan Fouts. Maybe it's another guy. I think Tony Dungy may be a voter now. 
um, former some other Hall of Fame uh, coaches, executive, maybe I think Bill Polian is a part of it too. So they're not just all media members. Okay. These are these are fifty um, voters, mostly um, you know, team guys who covered that team in that particular area, and um, you know, a couple former uh, whether it's players or executives, and yeah. you know, guys who covered the NFL at large, like a Peter King, who does he's not covering one specific team, but he covers the NFL as a whole. Yeah, and, they, and they have a, and they have a difficult difficult job when you think about it, trying to bring it down to just five modern era players. Um, that's, that's not an easy thing to do when you right. look at, you look at the list this year, there's, there's more than five deserving, deserving guys to, that should go into the pro football hall of fame. But, you know, they had to, you know, figure that out and, and come up with five guys. Yeah. For years. Um, well, so, and, and once you get to the finalist process, London, as, as you know, um, there is like a presentation of each player, yes. right? All, all the finalists have someone representative of their team who presents them. Now the Jared Bell, who writes for USA Today, yeah. he represents the Washington market. But yeah. what I was going to ask you, I actually didn't know Jared was the, the new guy. That's great. Jared's obviously yeah. a, a yeah. phenomenal writer who's covered the league for a long well, time. Well respected. Yeah. yeah, for sure. If you were going to pick a former teammate, to present you, if that was like a thing that you could do to present your case, someone who you feel like could tell the stories of London Fletcher and make the case for you in the Hall of Fame, who would you pick? I pick Fred Smoot. Because <laughs> <laughs> Fred, Fred is still <laughs> water to a well. I yeah. to ask him all. <laughs> That's a yeah, great call. He's going he's to hype it up and, uh, you know, <laughs> no, nah, I mean, it's a. Uh, I've never, I've never thought about that. Never been asked that question. Um, you know, it's, it's so many. I guess if I was to do it, I had to pick a guy. I would, I would pick one of my teammates that's currently in the Hall of Fame, former teammates. So, you know, maybe Aeneas Williams, who's extremely well regarded. You got Marshall Falk. I probably maybe Marshall because Marshall was a running back who played against me and also played with me. So I, maybe I, I'd have Marshall. Marshall Falk present my case. That's great stuff, man. Uh, Marshall would be incredible. Obviously, we've gotten to see how smart Marshall is over the years on NFL Network and the work that he's done. That would be. I would want to sit in the room for that case. I'll put it. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Um, let's let's take that Hall of Fame knowledge though, and and put it put your analyst hat on, uh, put your headset on, if you will, for the weekend when you look at this Atlanta Falcons team. In a lot of ways, it feels like they mirror. Uh, they mirror Washington. They're a very run heavy team or this current version of Washington. They're a very run heavy team. Uh, they, they've got a mobile quarterback. Uh, they use Mariota as a runner in a different way than Washington does with Taylor. But you know, put, if you're scouting this Atlanta offense, like where do you start to, to circle? That's a threat. That's a threat. Uh, and, and what they bring, which is, you know, pretty unique in the NFL. Although I return to running the football has kind of been a thing this year. So maybe not as unique as it yeah. once was. No, they they definitely have um, their run first football team. I know Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Falcons, very well. used to used to work in D.C. He was a defensive quality control when I was uh, when he was in Washington um, on the coaching staff, and you know uh, to see him ascend to a head coach and you know as an offensive coordinator, man, he, Arthur's one of the great great guys in football. He comes from the uh, Matt Lafleur kind of office of coaching tree. Matt was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee prior to 
to um, Arthur ascending to the uh, right. offensive coordinator position. So they run that that um, Kyle Shanahan zone, you know, wide zone um, rushing attack. But then they've had the element also of the the RPO or the zone read um, part of it too. So it puts a lot of a lot of stress on you defensively because you have the wide zone that you have to deal with, and then you have the zone read element of it with with Mariota as a um, as a runner, and then they also have the uh, the RPO aspect of it too. So it puts a lot of pressure on you defensively to to stop those elements of of the Falcons' offense. They they know who they are. That's the strength of their football team, and and they and they do um, they run the football as one of the best teams in, in in the National Football League. Yeah, what for like a linebacker? Say I don't know, Jamin Davis this weekend. What kind of stress is that put on him specifically as the player that they will often, you know, in some of this RPO stuff? That's actually who they're reading. So he's he's kind of the guy in the bind. What kind of stress does that put on him, uh, a player who's still young but um, has obviously grown a tremendous amount over the last eight weeks or so? Well, the, the great thing about you know Washington and def- and their defense and Jamin and you know just the defense in general they they've played Philadelphia you know twice this year so they've seen a lot of this this um zone read type of offense with Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense and so they and they've done a really good job defending it so they know how to defend it they have a really good scheme and dealing with that it's really about you know your discipline your gaps knowing um, knowing what you're supposed to do the um, defensive front makes a big difference, you know, when you especially talk about Deron Payne and and Jer uh and uh, Jonathan Allen. But also the defensive ends and, and you know who has the who has the running back on the on the zone read and who who's responsible for the quarterback. So just understanding each guy's responsibility within that particular call and playing playing it out. Um just doing doing that part of it and, and kind of rallying to the football. That's what they've done a great job and that's what that's really the task of the, of Washington's defense. Uh, anything else stand out for them from an offensive side? Because especially considering they're down Kyle Pitts now, like is there anybody else that scares you? I remember talking to Kevin O'Connell about this when he was here and he was the OC and he was lamenting. Uh, it was kind of an off the record conversation then, but it's, you know, the, the statute of limitations is up where he was like, look, man, when Jordan's out talking about Jordan Reed, if I'm a defensive coordinator and I'm putting numbers up on the board, I don't know who they're writing at this point. Like we used to, we used to have 86 and it would scare the daylights out of them. And 80 was Jamison Crowder. And like Jamison's hurt. Jordan's hurt. We don't have Deshaun and Pierre anymore. I don't know who, who's scaring defenses, uh, which is part of the reason why we're, we're struggling for them. They've got some weapons. um, But if you're in that defensive meeting without Kyle Pitts, no eight to write up on the board is he's now on IR. Who are you writing up on the board, and who else scares you that that they would need to focus in on uh, from a game plan standpoint? Well, I think you know, first guy they they probably put up there is a uh, is number eighty four, and and that's uh, Cordero yeah, Patterson. Patterson. Yeah. yeah, yeah, trying to trying to figure him out. He had a big game against Washington, you know, against us last year with three receiving touchdowns. They're they're not throwing the football to him as much as they did a year ago, and I don't know is that more of a product byproduct of them. You know, adding Drake London to that receiving core and feeling like they they have a little bit better weapons at, at the receiver position. Um, you mentioned Kyle Pitts being a hurt, so maybe maybe they start to expand on his role a little bit more in the, in the receiving uh, aspect. But him as a runner, he's definitely a threat. 
and Drake London, I, I would say the, those are the two guys, first and foremost, that you would have to um, have to say, hey, we have to get these two guys under control in, to, in order to stop uh, the Falcons' offense. Obviously, if Payne and Allen can keep getting the penetration they have, all that stuff becomes irrelevant. Uh, so hopefully yeah. they can continue to do that. Uh, one and two in the NFL are those two guys in tackles for loss by defensive tackles, 14 and 11 for Allen and Payne, respectively. Um, on the other side of the ball, obviously the, the huge conversation around the team right now is, is Taylor Heineke winning the starting job, uh, at least for now. This week, there was no decision to make because Carson's not ready yet. But, you know, as you watch Taylor and, and try to figure out the mystery of like why he wins, Logan and I have certainly given plenty of, uh, you know, taken plenty of space to, to break it down. Some of the reasons why we don't think it's quite as much of a mystery as some other folks might who are watching nationally and, and aren't as, as in the weeds as we are. But I, I'm not going to say any of our reasons. I'm curious for you from your vantage point, uh, your Hall of Fame level career that you had is someone who would look at this from that perspective, like. What do you see in Heineke that he is able to do that helps this team win football games to the tune of four and one with him as the starter this year? Well, you look at you know a couple of different things. First and foremost, the way the op- op- offense is operating, they're a lot more run heavy offense than they were when when Carson was a the quarterback. They're they're running the football. Well, I think about sixty six percent of the time now, as opposed to when Carson was a the quarterback, they were throwing it like sixty six percent of the time. Offensive line is played a lot better. It's playing a lot better, you know, especially from the run blocking aspect. You you look at um, not to car, uh, Taylor doesn't take as many sacks, so you know obviously you run the football, not taking as many sacks. He just has this also this brings his energy and this uh, ability to extend plays, play off schedule, make plays. You go back to the 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 game against the Indianapolis Colts and that drive. You know he's he's making so many plays off schedule to extend drives, fourth down plays, and also the play that he hit Terry um, with that eventually was the game winner. You know so he has those abilities that and 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 they the team feeds off that energy and and uh, you know it's it's just a great thing to happen and watch um, you know over the last uh, five ball games. Yeah, his ability to avoid those negative plays. Also, he throws the ball to Terry a lot, and Terry's so good. He's so good at football. Like, let's just give yeah. let's give him the ball so much. Yes, yes. You know, he, he <laughs> understands. You know, Terry Terry's a, a dynamic receiver. Tough to tough to, you know, cover one on one. Got give him an opportunity, especially on a lot of the fifty fifty balls down the field. Terry's gonna come up with a lot of those balls more often than not. Um, great chemistry. I think the offensive. I think Scott Turner's also done a great job of moving Terry around a, a lot more now too, as opposed to you know early in the year, it was a lot more of him being playing on the outside. Now you'll see him, you know, line up inside there, motion him a little bit more. They'll bring him into the backfield. There's been a conscious effort to get him the football more because good things happen when you get him the ball. Yeah, for sure. This Falcons defense has given up a lot of points, especially recently. Uh, they, they gave up 24 to Chicago, 25 to Carolina, uh, 20 to LA, 34, or sorry, 30, yeah, 34 to Carolina in their first matchup, and then 35 uh, to Cincinnati. That, that's their last five games. Where do you think Washington can specifically attack them, knowing also that Washington's game plan has been very run heavy with Taylor, and like, like we just talked about in these five games? Well, you know, it's a it's a situation where, when you look at 
the Falcons, especially on defense, you're like, man, what do they do great? You don't see them doing anything particularly well or great. Um, I know uh, Grady, uh, Grady Jarrett's a great football player for them. He's definitely a problem. I look at Rashawn Evans, their uh, inside linebacker, very physical player. But beyond, besides that, you know, there's there's going to be opportunity to, to run the ball against them. There'll be opportunity to make plays in the in the passing game against them. So it's really, um, you know, just stick to a lot of what we've already done in, in the past and, and do it at a higher level. Um, they're not great on third down. So, you know, it would be good if we can be a lot better on third downs than we were this past ball game against the Houston Texans. So, I mean, this is an opportunity if we execute at a high level – we should be able to put up some points on this on this Falcons defense. Yeah, and ultimately, is that what you're what you're predicting? Uh, commanders win where they they actually get some uh, get some solid offensive production in the points category because last week, like last week, they were up twenty to nothing at halftime, and they obviously could have scored more. They mega took their foot off the gas. Uh, so you know, in a game where against a better opponent, uh, where they might have to play all four quarters and, and kind of implement the the, the full shebang strategy wise, uh, what do you think actually happens this weekend? Well, you're gonna have to. Um, you know, I'm predicting a win. Obviously, um, you know, we go out again, execute at a high level. There will be opportunities to make big plays, not only in the running game but also in the passing game. I think maybe more opportunities in the passing game than than say against uh, Houston based on what Houston did defensively. There'll be opportunities to make more plays in the passing game against the Falcons defense and you know um but I still want to lean more on the on the on the run game. You know, maybe we're running it sixty percent of the time as opposed to um you know seventy percent of the time or yeah. whatever the case may be. But still lean, rely on the run game, but you know, there will be some plays to be made in the passing game, especially some some uh, chunk plays looking forward to uh the game on sunday uh good luck uh with everything hall of fame related have a great call uh with julian bram and uh we'll we'll see you again here soon on the pod london thank you i appreciate it